Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. Ed, I'm kind of excited today because I'm actually coming to uh, everybody live from the Voice America studios in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm so jealous. <laughs> so, and, and you're going to get like dinner out of our executive producer. Too. I am. Robert Cellino uh, has, has been wonderful, <laughs> folks. You know, we never mention uh, the, the folks here at Voice America who make all this stuff work. Ed and I have the easy part. We just get to show up basically and throw up. But uh, <laughs> our, our engineer, Matt, and the other engineers that are in the room right next to me, uh, they just do some phenomenal work. Uh, they're just amazing people who keep everything running so smoothly. And I just want to thank everybody here at Voice America. They've been really hospitable to me, showing me around. I got to meet everybody, and it's just been a wonderful day. So I'm having the time of my life here. This is really cool. Amen, brother. Glad I reiterate everything you said, but I'm glad you're I'm glad you're having a fun time, and I'll get that dinner out of Robert eventually. I'm sure you will. And I just want to shout out to to Robert's lovely wife Jennifer because he tells me she's a fan of the show and really enjoys some of our topics. And I just want to say hi to her and. Uh, thank you for for listening, and and uh, we hope we can continue to make you ha- have you enjoy the show. So, Ed, what are you worth? Um, okay, so I've been doing some research, and I think that chemically it's roughly about six hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> is that what it is? It used to be like a buck seventy five or no, something. No, you know, and that's that's the, the the it's ancient, ancient. The, those numbers are absolutely ancient. Okay. However. If if we were to allow for organ donorship on the open market, ah, yeah, um, and all of and potentially all of these things, I think that you know it's 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 about forty five million now. Okay, okay. What, what what we if we if we diced up the human being into its pieces parts, and uh, you know, a la Sweeney Todd, and uh, and and sold it off. So I'm going to go with forty five million. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself today. You know, we, we, we've talked about this before, and this has nothing to do with the topic, folks, but, you know, being able to sell organs, which I think is a very interesting topic. Possibly one day we'll do a show on this. Um, but there's only one country in the world that allows that, isn't there? Yeah, it's crazy. It's one of the I countries. <laughs> yes. It's Iran, right? Yeah, it is Iran. Yeah. Um, well, today's topic, folks, is is self-esteem. And we're going to try and talk about this and and relay it back to this concept of what are you worth. And I guess the big picture here is Ed and I firmly believe that there is nobility in being paid what you're worth. And mostly because this isn't a zero-sum game. You know, we talk about uh, this was one of the myths. Ed, in fact, I think this is your number one myth in your top ten business myths. That It's not zero-sum. If mm-hmm. your customers are paying you a big amount and you're earning even windfall profits, that means you're adding even more value to them, not to mention to the economy and the, and the country standard of living and all of that. And 
there's great nobility in that. It's not something we should be ashamed of. And what Ed and I have found in our travels and in our teachings is a lot of business people feel guilty or feel ashamed when they make extraordinary profits. And I, I, I really never really understood this, Ed. Um, in, in fact, there's a great story of the Google founders, uh, Larry Page and uh, is it Sergey? Sergey Brin? Sergey. Yep. Sergey yep. Brin. Uh, when they were students at Stanford, you know, and they had developed the web crawling technology. And they did that, by the way, to search like academic papers and things. And the professors really loved it because it cut down research time and all of this. And this was about 1996, and they wanted to sell it. They knew they wanted to start a business, but they didn't think it had to have anything to do with this. So they put it on the market for a million dollars, and everybody told them, oh, well, you're crazy. Yahoo owns the search market, and you'll never get it. Well, sure enough, they had no takers. Everybody who looked at it, every venture capitalist said, one million dollars? What, are you guys out of your mind? And all I can say is, thank, thank heavens they overvalued themselves, or we wouldn't have Google. Exactly. You know, what what if if Yahoo had purchased them at some low price and then just basically killed the technology? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it it, it and, and they were confident enough to put a million dollar price tag on it. Now, maybe that's because they were cocky young PhD students or whatever, but they knew they had something that was quite valuable, and they weren't going to just take nickels and dimes for it. They wanted to really profit from it, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, it, and it's it is ubiquitous, Ron. Throughout, I I gave a presentation in Toronto. This is going back like five or six years ago, where it talked about you know some of these issues, zero sum game, et cetera. And I had this this woman come up to me after my talk, practically in tears, and and she said, Ed, I just want to thank you for the conversation and what what you were talking about today, because my mother told me that money is the root of all evil, hmm. and and she always felt then guilty about doing work for people and getting money. Anything having to do with money set, set off bells in her, and she really got felt guilty about it. And I, I said to her, I said, I, I hate to tell you this, but you're, you're, first of all, your mom was misquoting scripture. It's, it's, it's not money is the root of all evil. It's love of money is the root of all evil. And it's really a, a warning against materialism, as we talked with Father Sirico last week about it. You know, back back in the day, you know, money was gold. It was material. It, there wasn't this idea of of money as uh, spiritual in any way. Right. Right. And and so it's love of money. It was really it's really a hey, listen, don't worry about it's it's people before things. And I just will always remember that conversation with her because I, I think it changed her life to to understand. Oh, it's it's okay. It's it, this is this is really okay. What I'm doing here. Right. You know, that's such an important distinction, and I'm so glad you brought that up. It's the love of money that's the root of evil, not money in and of itself. And the other thing that I, I want to mention in this topic, we're not just talking about your self-esteem, but this has also got an ethical angle, doesn't it? Because it's really hard to feel good about whatever it is you do in your business if you believe that business is morally reprehensible. How can we feel good about the contributions we're making to our fellow man if we believe that because money's involved, there's something grubby about it? And it just does, there's a disconnect there. So I think this is larger than just self-esteem. It actually goes to an ethical test too, doesn't it? 
I, I agree, but but I will say is that I've seen it manifest itself most in people's self esteem and their their uh, just inability to see that they are valuable contributing members of not beyond society, but to the to the businesses that they serve and customers that they serve, and it's it's a, a, in a lot of cases just because they just they just don't see it. They just don't see it. Right, and and you know since we talk so much about pricing. Um, we, uh, you know, when we ask people, well, why are you pricing so low or why are your prices are so low? And, you know, even sometimes they sell at a loss and, you know, we joke with them, well, were you going to make it up on volume? And some of the quote unquote, I call them excuses for that we hear from all types of business people about why their pricing is so low is, well, we don't have enough quality customers or, well, what, what we do is a commodity which, Ed, we need to do a whole show on that there is no such thing as a commodity, or our customers don't understand the value that we provide, or our people don't understand what they're worth, or, uh, you know, our customers engage in hardball negotiations and then we capitulate. And, of course, when you get a, somebody who's taken an economics course, they'll say, well, our market's perfect competition and therefore we have no pricing power whatsoever. All of these are just terrible excuses. And I do think they're indicative of low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with that assessment. And and it's funny because in a lot of cases, the, the, the self-esteem that we're questioning in here is, uh, number one, people with a lot of education, uh, pe- pe- people who have worked so- sometimes 20, 30-year careers and not seen the value that they create. And, and I wonder if it's because they've fallen into what I call the black hole of their career, which is, mm-hmm. yes, they can make money at it. Yes, it's something that they're good at, but they've lost the passion for it. Uh, and, and that's possible. But but I do think that there's a connection to the, the whole self-esteem issue. I think that they, that they believe sometimes the, the beatings that they get from prospective customers about, oh, you're trying to rip me off. And then the, the real challenge, of course, is that, you know, they can't articulate their value and they don't know how to pivot off of what is your cost to no 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 what's the value i'm providing to you and right. they don't know how to make that they don't know how to make that pivot point right it's easier to talk about the cost and the effort and the activity that goes into what we do rather than the outcome and the end result transformation to the customer who benefits mm-hmm. from what we do. The first time I ran across this issue, it was all the way back in 1996. So I was still a practicing CPA, and I subscribed to a newsletter that dealt all with customer service. And there was a CPA by the name of Timothy Boschman. He, he, like our good friend Paul O'Byrne, he passed away early as well from a brain tumor. But he wrote an article, and it was titled, No More Begging for Work. Self-esteem is the key to a better practice. And I just want to read one paragraph because when I read this at the time, I, I didn't really understand what he was talking about. But now it, it so resonates. He says, I see too much of what I call begging in our industry, begging for work, especially by underpricing, and then begging to get paid. I have never really understood why this is, particularly when you consider the training, hard work, and risk that accountants go through. The only explanation I can see is that accountants tend to have low, rather low self-images, unfairly and unreasonably low, but low just the same. And that sent me on this quest. I said, I got to learn more about this self-esteem issue. And, and that's what brought me to uh, Nathaniel Brandon. Yep. 
and here we go, Ron. We got to be careful here. This guy, this guy is this guy is the third rail and a lot from a lot of different places. I know, I know. And and in fact, the whole topic of self esteem, I think, is is a third rail. And 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 let's talk about that. I know we have to take a break here in in a, in a couple minutes, but you know, self esteem is one of those issues that's big in the the public school system, and it's rightfully so taken a beating uh, because. You know, you can have high self-esteem and be a lousy student, right? I mean, our our kids in America apparently score really high in self-esteem thinking they're smart and then score really low on the academic tests. And that's not exactly what we're talking about. No, I mean, there's there, there's more, I, I think, in, in my mind about what self-esteem is not. And, the, you know, the first thing that self-esteem is not is that almost by definition, it's not something that someone else gives you. Right? right. So the idea that you're getting your self-esteem from your parents, peers, teachers, bosses is insane because if, if that's what you're using to create your own self-esteem, it's by definition no longer self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a reason for that self in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hello? <laughs> what, what part did you miss? <laughs> right, right. And, and you, you know – you're only going to get paid as much as you think you're worth. I mean, if you don't think that you're worth it, how will your customers ever think you're worth it? So it does start with the self. It's like you're your own, you're your first sale, right? You have to convince you before you can convince anybody else. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I think that people miss is that, and whenever I hear somebody talk about all the things you mentioned, we're a commodity, you know, they usually ask this, them this question. All right, you're a commodity. Okay. Um, do you buy the cheapest toilet paper? Right. And, you know, usually no hands go up at that point unless, you know, we're talking to a bunch of college students, I suppose. But I said, okay, so what you're saying is, is that you are more of a commodity because one of the things that commodity means is you're just going to buy on price. Right, that you are more of a commodity than toilet paper. Right, right. This does not usually go over real well, by the right. way. <laughs> and, and folks, when we come back, we're first going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to dive into uh, Nathaniel Brandon's book, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, and talk talk about what his definition of self-esteem is, because Ed and I find it very, very useful. Uh, but first, you can always uh, follow us at uh, verisage.com slash TSOE. This is where we post up show notes. After every show, we talk about all the books, link to all the books that we discuss and all of that. You can also follow the show on Twitter at hashtag TSOE for the soul of enterprise. And if you want to email uh, Ed or myself, you can contact us at TSOE at Verisage.com. And we're still getting lots of emails from folks and, and various questions or feedback on the show, topics you want to hear. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but now we're going to go to our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing 
Together, we plan your marketing strategy, install a website that gets results, and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to simplify, scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on Innovating Innovation. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Nathaniel Brandon is a psychiatrist, I'm sorry, a psychologist, and he's done extensive work on this area of self-esteem that Ron and I are, are talking about today. And it was his treatise on self-esteem, the six pillars of self-esteem, that I, I think learned a, a ton uh, about this topic. Curiously enough, and this is why I said he's the, the third rail of a lot of different spaces, he was the, uh, let's call it, lover of, of Ayn Rand. Yeah. And uh, had a very interesting situation in that both Rand and Brandon were married to other people. Yes. And in the interest of rationality, they decided that it would be most rational for them to begin this love affair, the sexual love affair, which lasted, I don't know, a long time, years. It was, yeah. And and to the to the point where I think it, it you know finally the, their their relationship ended. Not really that good. <laughs> I think he got kicked out of the inner circle, didn't he? Yeah, let's let's call it very badly. Both he and Barbara, w- w- which was his wife, and I, I, you know, I think to this day, both of them. I don't think they're married anymore. Uh, I think she's gone her, her separate ways. Not, not surprisingly, but uh, but it's just a, really an interesting story. I, I, and I think that he, in some ways, and this is just my postulation here. I don't have any evidence to say this, but I think that he wrote this book in a response to coming out of that relationship because um, imagine being the spurned lover of Ayn Rand. Uh, yes. I can only imagine what that would have been like. <laughs> That'd be, be a pretty, I wouldn't, I would not be signing up for that gig. That would be what Father Sirico say about Mother Teresa. And I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. That would be, um, anyway, uh, he defines self-esteem in a couple of different ways. One is in our ability to think, our confidence in our ability to cope with the basic challenges of life, our confidence in our right to be successful and happy. I mean, that's an, that is an actual right. The, the feeling of being worthy, deserving, and entitled to assert our needs and wants and achieve those values for, the, for our fruits and efforts. And the way that I like to, 
I guess this is my kind of spin on it, make it a little bit understandable to myself, is it's really the judgment we pass on ourselves. Yes. Right? Self-esteem is the judgment we pass on ourselves. And uh, it, it really is, a, is, when you think about that, we're the human species is unique in that way. I mean, that we know of. Right. Right. We, we, we don't know if whales pass judgment on themselves or think about their thoughts. Uh, it, it's possible, I suppose, but, but none of their, their behaviors that we can see reflect that. And so it's, all, it's almost one of the things that really makes us most human is our ability to judge ourselves and sit in judgment of ourselves. Correct. And Ed, when I read this book for the first time, and it must have been back in 96 after I read this article by Timothy Boschman, um, he says a little bit different than what you just said. Brandon says that self-esteem is the reputation we acquire with ourselves. And when I read that, I thought, wow, this, this does answer so much about why so many business people feel you know, maybe not so good about charging high prices or feel guilty about it or for making a lot of money. And I, I just think that is so profound. Self-esteem is the reputation we acquire with ourselves. And the other point he made about it that I found very interesting is that your self-esteem is, is not set in stone like a childhood. It, 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 you can increase it. You can also decrease it <laughs> throughout right. your life. So it's kind of a moving target. And, and how do you suppose that that business? So many business people fall into that trap. Is it because do you think you know maybe maybe they are living up to the stereotypical business person of of Mister Burns, right? Scheming and conniving and always trying to figure out a way, and that 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 gives themselves a bad reputation in their own eyes. Or do you think it's just? I guess this is somewhat of a cop out and maybe contradictory to what we're talking about. That the the unending message that we hear in the media about the evils of business and we don't deny that such evils occur and exist but that's the only message it's you know the no news is good news kind of thing we're, we're not going to hear about in many cases the organizations that really do create all of this wealth and it's never going to be spun that way in the media they only want to talk about the you know the pharmaceutical company that's killing people by not making their drug available for free Right. And, and Ed, I wish I had the answer to that because I think it's a multifaceted issue. On, on one hand, you know, they're bombarded by the popular culture with shows like Dallas and, you know, the movies where the, the villain and the bad guy is always the business person. And it, it kind of goes back to that. How can you feel good about what you do if you think what you do or you're constantly bombarded with the message that what you do is morally reprehensible? And it's kind of a cycle that feeds on itself. You think, well, I'm, it's, this is not 100% ethical because we're not giving this drug away or we're not, you know, whatever. And then, and then it, that affects your self-esteem too because it's affecting directly the reputation you have with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really a, a sad trap, I think, that, that folks fall into. And I think, I think we're all, we're all, uh, it's all, we're all susceptible to it. Absolutely. It, you know, if if you think like I do, and I really do believe this, I think culture trumps politics. <laughs> so, you know, the the popular culture is 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 sending out this message virtually from every angle, whether it's the universities or or popular TV shows, movies, whatever. And yeah, that's going to have an effect on people, even upstanding citizens who go into business and and do the right thing. 
every day or at least try to. And like you said, and even Father Robert Sirico made this point, yeah, there's bad people in business. There's bad people in government. There's bad people in charities. There's terrible people in universities. Mm -hmm. So what? That proves nothing. Right. Right. Well, once again, thank God for Mr. Selfridge. I'm going to get you to watch that show, Ron. (laughs) It does sound like a great show. I do need to watch it. (laughs) So I guess, Ed, since we talked about Nathaniel Brandon's book, and we are recommending it, folks. It is is a good book. It is kind of the the ultimate treatise on this topic, and it is titled The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. We should probably talk about what those six pillars are. Well, sure. So let, let's let's start out with the, the the first one, which is living consciously. And the way that I've tried to explain this one is, is similar to some of our guests previous when we had Howard and Steve on this this idea of presence, right? Right. So to 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 be fully present in in the, in every moment that you can, uh, don't don't be distracted by the pretty things that are going on. And this this is especially with people, <laughs> right? right. Be be present for them. Make sure that you're make sure that you're you're listening well to them. I, one of my favorite questions that I like to ask people, and it's one you know, it's a pretty deep question, is when was the last time that you experienced deep listening? Right. And it, it, when you begin to think about that question, you find that it's not very often. <laughs> yep. You know, someone who really listened well to you. And I think that if you have high self-esteem, one of the things that you will do is be fully present for people and you will listen well. You'll be present for them. Right. Ed, this is something that I try to I try and work on every single day. I mean, just to be an active listener and just listen to people and not not just, you know, run off at the mouth or just think about what I'm what I want to say. And maybe uh, conversations with you, since, you know, we've known each other now for a decade, uh, I found that just really helped me become a a better listener. Well, that's good. I'm glad I've had that influence on you. I, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned Google before. I I almost equate this to to the Google I'm feeling lucky search. Right. So, uh, (laughs) you know, what, what, what we tend to do as business people is somebody comes into your office, you know, whether it's a coworker. Uh, peer uh, prospect, right? And and they start to talk about a situation that they have. You know, we're we're kind of thumbing through and looking for the Google keywords and what it is that they're saying, mm-hmm. right? And then we have this tendency to to click not only just you know search on that term to come up with that, but the, I don't know if you're the I'm feeling lucky button what that right. does on Google that just brings you to the first result, right, right, <laughs> right, automatically and doesn't go to this. So what you do is you hear these like keywords, then you just dump you know oh yeah got it boom and you hear them say one thing and that triggers what your pat answer for that that thing is, <laughs> right, right, and it's it's a you know and here's the thing is a lot of times you might. Do well and guess correctly is it what what it is that 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 was the problem, but here's the thing: they don't have the experience of being well listened to. Right, right, and and I guess the other thing that needs to be said on this being present, living consciously, is I mean, look at it today when people go out to lunch and people are all everybody's looking at their you know their smartphones and answering emails or texting, and you're just not in the moment. I I, I love that new rule where everybody has to pony up their cell phone in the middle of the table and whoever grabs theirs first to check email or whatever has to pay pick up the tab for everybody uh it's just it just seems rude you know and I'm, this isn't an etiquette show but just be there be conscious yeah. be present 
Yeah, I, I make it a make it a, a try. I try to make it a habit. I can't say that I always succeed in you know when I when I go out with my kids and my my wife for for dinner to. You know, let's see if I can like put that cell phone away for just a little bit. You know, the the scary part is is my my son's getting older and he's like, "Hey, Dad, can I play on your cell phone?" <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's almost it's great because it's almost a warning for me. But like, if I have it out and he asks to use it, that means I shouldn't have taken it out. Right, right, right. So it's re- it's really it's it's helpful for me as a as as a warning to that. There, you know, and just curiously, Ron, did you see there was a, a restaurant? I think it was in New York City. That um, was having all kinds of, of problems with 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 uh, turn you know the table turn right, and they they actually equated it now to the that the average dinner takes somewhere between twenty and thirty minutes longer because people are playing on their cell oh, phones, no, cell phones right and that you know ra- rather than look at the menu. They were doing something on their cell phone, so when the server comes over and said, "Have you decided?" They're like, "Oh no, not yet. Sorry." Right. <laughs> you know what? I think there's a pricing opportunity here. Maybe you can give people a discount or charge them more if they if they have their cell phones out. Brilliant, brilliant. Hand <laughs> in your cell phone because we can turn the table faster. You get ten percent off. I love it. That's awesome. No, that, that, that'll work. That'll work. This is how well, war pricers think. You know exactly, exactly. Well, we're um, going to head to our second break here and we'll pick up on with the the five other pillars from nathaniel brandon and but before our next break just want to remind you that you can email us at tsoe at barisage.com at pound tsoe in the twitter account we do check that during the show in fact i just checked it a few minutes ago haven't seen anything yet but uh we certainly do want to hear from you so please do that or of course as ron said the show notes available at verisage.com slash tsoe for the soul of enterprise but And we'll be talking about the five other pillars of self-esteem after this quick break and sponsor from Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about self-esteem, and we're specifically talking about Nathaniel Brandon's book, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Uh, I'm coming to you live today from the studios of Voice America here in Phoenix, Arizona. So this is uh, kind of a joy for me to be sitting in their studios and uh, doing the show. And, uh, Ed, we've mentioned um, one of the his first pillar of the six pillars of self-esteem, which is living consciously, which which we're taking that to mean be present. His second one is self-acceptance. And how do you explain that? Well, I usually mention that, that that means that you should accept your feelings, right? And don't don't try to deny what your feelings are. And, I, you know, I think this is so important. Many, oftentimes we have to say, okay, look, I, th- I, I felt really angry. Okay, yep, that's okay. Right. <laughs> that doesn't make you a bad person for feeling really angry. Well, that doesn't make you wrong. <laughs> right, and it doesn't make you wrong. It, it, it's absolutely – just accept that you felt that way. And then I think the second step in that is then also be willing to think about your feelings and try to search for what they are because I think what happens here – and this is – now we're bringing in – I'm bringing in somebody else's work, but – and that's uh, uh, Daniel Goleman – Right. And his his work on emotional intelligence. But I think there is something to this what's called emotional hijacking, right? Mm-hmm. Where what happens in your brain is you get your 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 influence, your emotions and your and your words are are just constantly influencing one another and you're getting stuck and you're not getting back to your thoughts and beliefs. Right. And when that happens, when your actions and emotions just feed off of one another, they call that an emotional hijacking. And really, it's a, it's a sense of stuckedness, right, where you, you're just in the – it's a reinforcing loop. And it gets to this idea that what you need to try to do is ask yourself a new question, mm-hmm. right? What's a different question that you could ask yourself? Because if you keep a- asking yourself the same question and answering that over and over again, <laughs> you know <laughs> – uh, Einstein's definition of insanity. Well, now you're doing it to yourself, so it's like double insane. <laughs> right, right. This is why Socrates said the wisdom's in the question, right? Not the answer. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I think that's a really good point. Accept your feelings, but then also think about them. Yep. That's a great two pronged strategy for his second pillar, which is self acceptance. His third one is self responsibility. And Obviously, we need to be responsible for our actions. And I also think about this, Ed, in terms of since this shows business and the knowledge economy, that knowledge workers need autonomy, which is a Greek word meaning self-governance. Mm-hmm. And and it, it, it doesn't mean license. It doesn't mean just do whatever feels good. It means you're going to take responsibility for producing a result. I mean, that's what a knowledge worker does. And and that requires autonomy. And that's right. how I think about this. I, I completely agree with, with this idea of, of autonomy. And then, you know, it goes hand in hand with the, with accountability. Right. right? In fact, I, I was at a, a session this, this previous weekend with Jody Thompson, the founder and co-author of why work sucks and how to fix it, who um, has agreed by the way, Ron, to be a guest on a future show. We're really excited about that. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yep, but but she she speaks of it this way: this idea of autonomy and and 
uh, the uh, I'm sorry, now I can't. The, the, the accountability, uh, autonomy, and accountability have to go hand in hand in what they they call a row, a results only work environment. But the self responsibility piece, I mean, I think the best thing that I've heard that sums this up is, of course, a Rand quote, which is, "I swear on my life and my love for it that I will never live for the sake of another, nor ask another to live for me." Mm-hmm. And that's pretty harsh. And yes, you go a lot of wrong places with Rand. And, and certainly she doesn't see what I see at the top of the mountain. Right. But there's something in there. There's some wisdom in there that, that, there is. Yeah, that I'm not asking somebody to live for me either. Right. That I'm, uh, th- that I'm, I'm responsible for myself. Now I, I think she takes it too far, but, and we're going to get a lot of emails from objectivists now, <laughs> but <laughs> telling me how I'm wrong and I get it, but I have enough self-esteem to be able to move through it. That's good. And and it, it's also like your other point, too, about freedom and accountability is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Autonomy, autonomy and freedom, I think, are, are interposed here in a lot of the lot of lot of the work. Right. right? And that, but again, they're juxtaposed with the idea uh, with this idea of of um, accountability. And what I think is really missed is that all three of them mean the same thing, autonomy, freedom, and accountability. They all mean the same thing. thing. You can't be accountable unless you're free, and you can't be free unless you're accountable. accountable. Right. So that brings us to his fourth pillar, which is self-assertiveness. Now, this is easily misrepresented, I think, as being, you know, uh, the B word or, 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 you know, the A word, if maybe if you're a male or whatever, but that's not really <laughs> what he's saying here. I, I think of self-assertiveness as just not letting other people trample on your rights. Yep. And, and being willing not to trample on theirs. The, one of the best ways I, I have heard assertiveness defined is at, and what do you think of this, Ron, as the midpoint between passive and aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I like that. I haven't heard right. that. That's good. Right. So, you know, passive, oh, your rights are more important than mine. Trample over me. I'm a doormat, right? Mhm. Uh, uh, someone who's aggressive, right? Um is is going to be like, oh, no, I'm, my rights are more important than yours. I'm taking over for you. You, you know, you you don't know how, what's what's good for you. But I think the midpoint, you know, the the Greek idea of of striking the mean is assertiveness. No, no, my rights are important. Your rights are important. I'm going to assert myself up to a certain place, but not beyond that. Sort of like, remember in uh, Dirty Dancing, this is my dance space? Right. <laughs> <laughs> my dance space, your dance space. Right. <laughs> and I guess that it needs to be said, if you're an author or even, dare I say it, you're a radio host, uh, you probably don't have too many issues with being self-assertive. I mean, you and I aren't very... Uh, you know, we're not wallflowers when it comes to asserting our opinions, but also just being respectful of others and, you know, not, not uh, trying to force our opinions down somebody's throat. But we'll definitely stand up for what we believe. Exactly. It's sort of like the idea of prudence, too, is the right, right thing, do the right thing for the right reason at the right time. time. <laughs> right. Which brings us to his fifth pillar, which is living purposefully. And I think of the Simon Sinek talk, his, his TED talk, which folks will link to on the show notes uh, of starting with why, uh, especially in a business context, his premise is that people don't buy what you do or how you do it, 
they buy why you do it. And this is very similar to, is it Rick Warren, Ed, uh, The Purpose Driven Life? Yeah, Pastor Rick Warren. Right, right. What's your take on living purposefully? How do you explain it? Yeah, the way I kind of spin this one a little bit is is to talk about making a conscious choice to lower your anxiety. And I know when we had Howard Hansen and Steve Jeske on, we talked a lot about this idea of, of anxiety and creativity and the fact that they're always inversely proportional to one another. Right. And and you can't turn on creativity, but you can lower your anxiety. We do have the ability as people to self-regulate our anxiety. And I think that people who are conscious of that, I mean, that's why these things are all kind of united. They get, there's, there's some overlap on them, but, but people who are, are live purposely accept one another, self-responsibility and assertive, they, they also have this ability to be able to self-regulate and lower their anxiety. Right. Yes. And ever since I read their book, healing leadership, and of course talking to them about it on the air, uh, several weeks ago when we had them on, I also notice, too, if you come into a situation with your anxiety level lowered, you'll become a better listener, too. And and you will be more self-assertive. Yep. You will. And and look, one of the really cool ways to do this is – and I've, I, I'm not a master at this. I've, I've only ha- have scratched the surface on even beginning to understanding uh, – beginning to understand this. But it's called it's called a Reiki, right? Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. Where what where what what you do is just get yourself off to the side, you know, a corner. Get your get your 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 play, and then you can do you can do this with uh, in a crowd, right? As long as you can just find a little alone space in your mind, close your eyes if you need to, or or stand in a corner. I've actually seen seen by the way. <laughs> How Howard stand in a corner <laughs> before a presentation. It's a little bit unnerving to the crowd, but and this is what he's what he's doing. And he he's preparing himself for, from an energy perspective. And what he's thinking about is someone in his life for whom he is grateful. grateful. Yep. And what that does, it, you it, it, that that lowers your anxiety. It does. That that that's neat. You know, before a presentation, I tend to pace. But one of the things that Paul Dunn taught me: you, you do whatever your pre-show warm-up is, just like a golfer, right? They all have different pre-shot warm-ups. But he he repeated to himself over and over: "This is about them. This is about them. This is mm. for them." And it was all about the audience. And I've used that, Ed, and I have to tell you, that just kind of centers you. Mm. It just brings you right back to what's important. Yep. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And Brandon's last pillar, the sixth pillar, is personal integrity. And my take on this is just like the ancient Greeks. You know, the ancient Greeks thought that we were bundles of virtues and vices and that the sum total of your virtues and vices were your, was your character. And they believed character was destiny. They also believed character was its own reward. So I just sum this up as you know, it's your character that matters. I mean, like Oscar Wilde says, no man is rich enough to buy back his past. Yep. And that's kind of how I explain it. But how do you how do you explain his personal integrity pillar? I, I talk about this in terms of uh, honoring one's commitments, both to yourself and others. Right. Right. And by honoring a commitment, it doesn't mean just keeping the commitment. That's that, that's usually what you'll hear. That's the the trite pablum phrase, right? We're right. going to keep our commitments. Well, no kidding, right? But honoring your commitments, I think, goes a step further in that it 
it it honors them yes it means keep that keep keep them most of the time or as 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 often as you possibly can but it also means that if you fail which we all do myself included a lot sure <laughs> to 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 make mention of it right so if you tell a, a customer of yours hey i'll have that to you on wednesday right well it would certainly be best to if you if you're not going to be able to to let them know about it ahead of time like let them know, know Monday that hey I'm not going to have it for you Wednesday but even if you do end up delivering Friday when you deliver it Friday be sure to say I know this is late right I know I told you Wednesday because even if the customer doesn't care about it per se they will have noticed that you broke a commitment so you need to honor the commitment by saying, hey, listen, I know I messed this up. This is why if I'm even two minutes late or one minute late for a conference call, I always say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm late. Right, right. Yep, no, it's so true. And it's also taking responsibility <laughs> yeah. for your actions, absolutely. You know, Brandon said uh, also that if low self-esteem correlates with resistance to change and clinging to the known and familiar, then never in the history of the world has low self-esteem been as economically disadvantageous as it is today. And I think that's also a really interesting point, that low self-esteem can be a competitive disadvantage, and high self-esteem can be a competitive advantage. So true. Absolutely true. So, folks, uh, we're going to take a break, but uh, before, as, as always, you can reach Ed or myself at tsoe at verisage.com. Please send in your emails. We love to hear from you. And you can get the show notes on every show where we link to the books that we discussed and other interesting reading. And that's at verisage.com slash tsoe. And now we're going to hear from Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Are you ready for what happens next? If you have your investments, retirement planning, and business plans all in a row, you're probably set. But are you really all that sure? Listen to In Black and Whites with host Peter Whites. Peter and his guests will cover business and investment topics that you need to know about right now. Whether it's new technology, 401k plans, mergers and acquisitions, we're here to help you. In Black and Whites airs live Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit verisage.com you may also tweet us at verisage that's v-e-r-a-s-a-g-e now back to the soul of enterprise 
Architect Frank Lloyd Wright, when he was 89, testified at a trial and said that he was the world's greatest architect, or he's the greatest architect in the world. And his wife came up to him and suggested that, hey, maybe he should have been a, been a little bit more modest. And he said, you forget, I'm testifying, I testified under oath. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Frank Lloyd Wright was a very interesting guy. I finally got to do some reading on him. And, uh, you know, Napoleon Hill, the author of Think and Grow Rich, which is, I know, a classic, and probably most of our listeners have, have read that book, he said there is no standard price on ideas. The creator of ideas makes his own price. And if he's smart, he gets it. And I'll tell you, Ed, Frank Lloyd Wright certainly understood that. You know, in 1935, and I read this story, by the way, uh, I think two of his draftsmen wrote uh, an autobiography that worked with Frank Lloyd Wright for a decade or two. And in 1935, Edgar Kaufman, who was the German-American businessman uh, who owned Kaufman's department store, asked Frank Lloyd Wright to design a small summer home for him near Mill Run, uh, which was it is something like 75 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. And Wright didn't do anything. He procrastinated on this. And, <laughs> and, and the draftsmen tell this story that one day Kaufman calls up Wright and says, you know, hey, I'm in town. I'd, I'd love to come by and, and, and look at your designs. And Frank Lloyd Wright says, oh, come on over. We've been expecting you. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> and the draftsmen are sitting there going, what's he talking about? Nobody's picked up a pencil on this thing. And Wright hangs up the phone, walks over to his drafting room, and he started to draw. And he's talking to himself in a calm voice. And he says, they will have tea on the balcony. They'll cross the bridge to walk in the woods. And he says, the draftsman says pencils were just being used up as fast as he could. And across the bottom of the drawing, he titles it Falling Water. So he literally drew Falling Water, the basic idea, in, in a matter of minutes. And, and this is, you know, one of the problems with billing by the hour, charging by the hour. It has, it's no reflection to your actual output. And when Kaufman showed up and he showed him the plans, uh, it, Kaufman was just blown away. He said it was just inspired. And then they went to lunch and, and Frank Lloyd Wright's draftsman did the rest of the, rest of the place, you know, drew the other stories and everything. But I just love that story. That's amazing. I mean, and uh, you know, there there's so many things that are like that. You know, the inspiration for the Jeopardy theme just come out of nowhere, and right. uh, spending such a, a few minutes on it. But but what a great example, Ron, of all of the things that we were talking about of the six pillars, right? Living consciously, uh, clearly he was present in the moment, um, accepting himself for who he was. Uh, he being responsible, told the guy, "Come on over." <laughs> right, <know>? right, <laughs> right, yep. right. Um, assertiveness. He was. He was. He was able to say, "Okay." He had the confidence in himself to be able to do this. He certainly, you know, that calming voice that you talked about. It, isn't that exactly what he did? He lowered his level of anxiety. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He didn't. No. He didn't still run around screaming. I got to be creative now. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> and yeah. And the other, of course, the other point here, folks. And we're not trying to confuse cause and effect here. I mean, I think your self-esteem is raised when you achieve. It's not the other way around so much. It's not that if you have higher self-esteem, you'll achieve more. That's not true. I mean, prisoners are full of self-esteem, right? But they're in prison, and, and a lot of students uh, get F grades, and they have high self-esteem. But if you can achieve, then I think that will feed on your self-esteem as long as you keep that reputation with yourself in check. Uh 
Oh, right. These, you know, silly self-affirmations that, you know, people are taught to, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was that show, uh, that movie, the set of movies, Stuart Smiley, for Al Franken? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, we're just making self-esteem that somebody else gives to you. Uh, we mentioned we opened that the show with that, though, you know, is that it's just it's really silly. And the other thing, Ed, is I, I don't I have not found this to be a gender specific issue. This self esteem affects both men and women and I know there's a lot of talk these days with the the book leaning in and all that, how women aren't as assertive in negotiation and you know, I know some uh, Harvard studies have, have have tried to empirically study this and maybe there's something to it, maybe there's something not. But I'll always remember an email I got from a CPA. This was after I taught a, a graduate course in value pricing. This is back in the 2000s. And she wrote me afterwards and she said, you know, dear Ron, finally, um, the biggest change in all of this has been to my self-esteem. She's talking about raising prices and even maybe firing some customers. Mm-hmm. She goes, about 10 years ago, not long after beginning my solo practice, my mother-in-law, who was an attorney, said to me, Diane, just remember, men are in business to make money and women are in business to take care of people. Get over it. What she meant was that the female attitude of I'll take care of you will give you a little satisfaction but make you no money. She said, if you're going to be taking away from your family, you might as well make a hell of a lot of money and feel really good about it. But this is easier said than done. I fell into the trap of helping my clients and forgetting myself. Was I popular? Did my clients love me? Yes, but I didn't feel the same. Only when I took my practice seriously and began placing a value on my services did I begin to feel successful. And she concluded by saying, if you feel successful, you are successful, and, the mo- and then the money follows. When you reduce your value, um, it feels lousy. And, and I just thought that that had a significant impact on me. It's a great story, Ron. That's a great story. That just, just absolutely nails it. And what, what elegant prose, too. That, yeah, that, uh, that this woman was able to to write about it. Yeah, and and how many times have we heard this? Even just bringing up this topic and broaching it, Ed, you play a interesting video when you when you talk about this topic. The, the Paul Potts the Paul, video. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah if it, and we'll put we'll put this on the site too. But Paul Potts was this mobile phone salesman from you know somewhere in England, and and uh, if you haven't seen this video clip, comes out and just sings. Uh, Nason Dorma cold, um, you know, at that at a at a at a pretty you know not quite Pavarotti, but hey, <laughs> for a for a mobile phone sales clerk, pretty dang good. <laughs> and he he admits it's 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 all self esteem. It's all self esteem. Now now he's gone on. He's got a recording contract. He's sung all over the world. Carnegie Hall, um, Paris Opera House, uh, Sydney Opera House. So, but but just to to reiterate back to your first point. I do not think this is a gender-specific issue. Uh, I think it manifests itself a little bit differently. I think that, quite honestly, I think women are much more willing to talk about it. Yes, I have definitely found that. And I've also found, Ed, that it's not – you know, it's not specific to any industry or profession. I mean, I, I meet lawyers all the time with low self-esteem, and you think, wow, they're really assertive and they have to be tough negotiators. But you'd be surprised how many of them, when it comes to themselves, maybe this is, you know, the cobbler's kids have the worst shoes and the plumber's got the worst toilet, right? But they have incredibly low self-esteem, and it does affect um, their earnings. 
Well, I mean, is is that possibly the reason for agents, right? People neg- negotiate. Right. I mean, that's why you have an agent, because none of us are really good at selling ourselves, yet I can sell you all day. Mm-hmm. So it's it's t- it's tied tied abs- right back into that. Exactly. You know, uh, just uh, one last thing, and uh, to close this out, Stephen Jobs uh, gave a commencement address, and folks, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's really worth saying. But he said, you know, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be tracked by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. He says, they somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. And I think that's great advice. Amen. So we got coming up next week, Ron. Ed, I'm so excited. We have my pricing mentor, Reed Holden. And if you know anything about pricing or, or follow that community at all, this is uh, one of the leading authors. His book is on every pricer's shelf. He's written multiple books. We're going to get to talk to him about all of them. He's a professor. I was privileged enough to take his course at the Chicago uh, School of uh, Executive Education, and it was a five-day, really intensive course, but he's taught me uh, a lot about uh, pricing over the years, and so I'm just really excited that we'll be having him on. And we disagree with him on some things, too, which is good. We do, and it's very very challenging to uh, question and disagree with your mentor, but we'll give it it our best (laughs) shot. So I'm really looking forward to that, Ed, so I guess I'll see you next week with Reed Holden. This has been the soul of enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, you can visit us at verisage.com slash TSOE or contact Ed or myself at tsoeverisage.com. We'll see you in 167 hours, folks. Thank you. 